0: As uh, always, it's good to be in a very cool Brisbane. <laughs> I mean, it was so cold at six o'clock this morning, I thought uh, um, some of you Queenslanders would have snow jackets on, you know? <laughs> but um, it's really nice. I'm not sure what's happened to the summers up here when, um, you know, you used to sleep in the oven to, to keep cool, but it's it's very nice, I'm not complaining. Um, <clears throat> Advance Australia Sunday is always a a blessing and it's an honour. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to to come again. And it is a real honour and a privilege. Um, I love love Australia. I love my country. Uh, Almost two months ago, Robin and I returned from Europe. We spent um, uh, seven weeks in the UK, sort of uh, across between some long service leave and... uh, uh, next Sunday is our 40th wedding anniversary. So, yes, Robin deserves a round of applause, please. <laughs> she also deserves the Congressional Medal of Honour and anything else you can you can give to her for putting up with this bloke for 40 years. But it was sort of like a 40th wedding anniversary um, celebration and a bit of long service leave and visiting some of the... Uh, one, one area in where, particular where my, my grandma was born. We spent a week in Lincolnshire and got to see the little village where my grandmother on my mother's side was born. And also we got to uh, visit a, a little house that I think was about 250 years old where... My grandma lived, um, we, we believe that her family lived in this little house. I mean, the ceilings are about this high. They were shrimps in those days. I don't think they ate much. But um, about this high and, and that was a real thrill. And um, just to visit the old country and so on. And I could spend many hours talking about our, our times over there, but I won't. But um, suffice to say, we had a wonderful time. But it's always good when you get back to Heathrow and you see that the tail of that big Qantas plane with the kangaroo. Now, I know Qantas most probably... I'm, I'm an ex-employee of Qantas and I'm, it's not the airline that it used to be, but it still is reassuring when you see that kangaroo on the tail, thinking, yep, we're on, we're, we've got this murderous 24-hour trip back to Sydney, but it's the quickest way to get there. It's better than a boat. And uh, we're on our way back to Aussie. And then when you touch down... That, that was my uh, 80th overseas trip. Uh, and um, and just about all of those have been um, ministry-wise, uh, ministry trips. But when you touch down at Sydney Airport and you see the Harbour Bridge and, uh, um, well, you see Sydney, okay, you see Sydney and the beauties of Sydney and um, it's just um, uh, a great thing. It gets you in here. But um, <clears throat> I've often looked down at Circular Quay there in Sydney and thought about, My forebears, my great-great-great-grandfather was a man named Richard Mills, and uh, there's a a copy of a transcript of of court documents that we found on the internet. He was convicted of being a highwayman. He was a highway robber, and um, he was uh, sentenced to death, had his sentence committed to life in the colonies, and he was put on the the convict ship Elizabeth in 1800, and he arrived in Port Jackson, Sydney, 1800. And um, <coughs> his daughter married my great-great-grandfather, William Young, and so that's where I come from. So um, come from a long line of convicts, and, and William Young was a convict as well, so there's convicts all throughout. Um, I'm not even sure about Robin's side of the family. Um, <coughs> they, they were worse than convicts. We just don't have the records of that. Uh, <clears throat> but um, I've often thought of the, and this is not the sermon, by the way. Okay, I'm just rambling a bit here. But I think it's interesting when you, when I look back. Obvi- obviously, I never knew my, um, I never knew my grand, my grandfather on my dad's side. in fact, I never even knew my dad. He, I was just three years old um, when he died. I don't remember my dad. Um, but. <clears throat> When you think of those Australians who have influenced us over the years, I'm sure we could all stand up and say, yeah, these people have influenced me. And I'd like to just give a little tribute here to some of the the men, excuse me, in particular, that influenced my life, some great Australians. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. We must never forget those who have influenced us. For righteousness. In fact, that's the buzzword at the moment, influencer. Uh, Especially um, internet influencers have a huge influence. Usually for disaster or for chaos. But uh, it it is a great ministry, a great opportunity to be an influencer. In fact, we are all influencers in some way. Every single one of us, we will influence someone today. Either for good or for bad. But here's a few names. I just want to read these names out to you. Uh, Men, great Aussies that influenced my my life uh, in uh, definite ways. first fellow was a a bloke called Norman Harris, or Norm Harris. And he was the Baptist Union evangelist for many years. uh, And I was saved, I came to the Lord, under his ministry. He was preaching at Doyleson Baptist Church, which is... um, ...not far from Gosford or south of Newcastle uh, in New South Wales... ...and I remember very, very clearly... I don't, ...I don't remember what he preached on that particular day... ...but I do know that God used Norm Harris, even as an old man then, in 1969... ...and he got hold of a little skinny, freckle-faced uh, seven-year-old kid... ...sitting on the front row of the church there that day... And, ...and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ in a very simple way to come into my heart... ...and to save me from my sins... Now, Norm obviously is in heaven now, but his gospel legacy continues to this day. In fact, it's very interesting, I'm not going to ask that now, but oftentimes I'll be in a church, especially in New South Wales, and I'll mention Norm Harris, and an old-timer will come up to me after the service and say, yeah, I was saved under his ministry. I was saved under his ministry. I was called to preach under his ministry. A great man of God. He was a... uh, he was a champion lifesaver, came from the, the northern beaches of Sydney, um, a ballroom dancer and a professional drunkard. But he met Jesus and his life was turned upside down. And he travelled all over Australia preaching the gospel, uh, mainly New South Wales, but different parts of Australia. Uh, his wife used to write his sermons, and uh, a bit like Pastor Hernan here. But anyway, his, uh, <laughs> his wife used to write his sermons. And, um, uh, but he was a fearless preacher. And a wonderful man of God. In fact, <clears throat> if you go to my website, phraseyoung.com and go to audio sermons, right down the bottom there's a whole list of sermons you can stream through there. There's seven or eight sermons from Norm Harris. Now, they're from the 60s, so they're a little bit scratchy, but you can still make out as to what he's saying. But I thank God for Norm Harris. There's another man named Bob Middleton. And Bob Middleton, when I was a little kid, was a very old man then. But he was one of the most faithful personal workers that I've ever, that I ever to this day, I've ever met. He wasn't a preacher, although I think he preached a few sermons. He was a, a cobbler. He was a shoemaker. Uh, and uh, what, what Brother Bob Middleton used to do was this. When the Baptist Union sent out someone to start a new church, he would move his business and his family and go and, and live in that area for a few years and help the pastor start the new church. And he, he ran his business, but he was a great personal worker. He would just get beside people. He would lead people to the Lord. And then he would take on that incredible, most probably the most important task of follow-up and discipleship. And he did that with me. I remember as a little kid... Uh, just after I uh, trusted Christ as my saviour, week after week after week, we'd meet at church there at Doyleston and and Mr. Middleton would say, Fraser, now, you've got to learn these verses. I'm going to check check on you next week to see that you've memorised these verses of assurance because you only get assurance of salvation through the word of God. And that was Bob Middleton. I remember visiting him when he was in aged care many years later. I'd been preaching for a while then and I remember having fellowship with Brother Middleton and he'd always say, now, Fraser, Fraser, you are following up on your converts, aren't you? (laughs) Don't leave babies on the doorstep. He was a great man. We could do with a few more Bob Middletons. Then there's a fella called Jack Parker. Jack Parker was not a relative. As I said before, my father died when I was three in 1965. And until my mother remarried, I think uh, ten or so years later, uh, nine or ten years later, I, I grew up without a dad, but my mum had the common sense to, to allow godly older men into, the life of, into my life and my brother Lyndon's life. Uh, strong Christian figures. And Jack Parker was one of these men. Uh, he, was, he was a wonderful Christian man. Uh, he, he had such strong principles. He was a plumber by trade. Uh, but he was such an incredible man. And I remember uh, growing up very poor and my mum had no money. But if we ever got a birthday present or a Christmas present, it, it was usually Jack Parker that gave us that present. And uh, <clears throat> I owe so much to him as just a, a father figure in those days. Most Probably the most influential man in my life was my grandfather. His name was Albert Harper. Uh, last Monday, I conducted a funeral at a place called Arimba. That's just on the... Uh, the M1 in between Sydney and Newcastle, and uh, Robin's auntie passed away, and they asked me to take the funeral, which we did. We went, drove down last uh, last weekend. Uh, but if you go back to 1986, um, <clears throat> about one less than a mile, or maybe about a kilometre from where I took this funeral, was another funeral home, and that was the very first funeral as a as a young man just out of college, Bible College that I ever took, and that was my grandfather's funeral. Looking back, I most probably. Would have been better not to take it because it was a bit of an emotional time. But my grandpa was the most revered figure in my lifetime. He was a unique man. He was tough as nails. And yet he was tender to his grandchildren. He was a strict disciplinarian. To his dying day, he he was always up at the crack of dawn, uh, reading his Bible, praying. He always made himself two cups of tea every morning. Two saucers and two cups every morning. <laughs> he never filled the one cup twice. He always had two for some reason. But he was a strict disciplinarian, but he was, he was soft on the inside and he loved young people. And he, he was the delight of my life. Even looking back many years since he passed, every moment spent with my grandpa was a delight. Um, he grew up in the wrong, on the wrong side of the tracks. He was born in 1907 in Newtown in Sydney. His father took off with another woman, leaving his family destitute. Even the poor people called the Harpers poor. Uh, He received his first pair of shoes at the age of 12. And one Christmas, there were four brothers. One Christmas, the four brothers received a push bike as a gift for Christmas. It had no chain, no pedals and no seat. (laughs) That's how poor they were. But he found the Lord under the ministry of William Lamb. And he was just an incredible um, influence in my life. And I, could, I need to stop. There's more names I've got written here, a fella called Godfrey Theobald and, and Brian Wynnum and, uh, and others. But I thank God for Australian men of God. I really do. I thank God for those, uh, whether they were pastors, whether they were whatever, godly men that used their influence on a little skinny Aussie kid, fatherless kid, to teach him the word of God, influence him for right. So we need to do the same thing. Amen. We have the opportunity to do that. As I said, you will influence someone today just by being at church. Make sure you have a Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit-filled influence Amen. on those that look up to you. Speaking of opportunity, it was interesting in Pastor's opening prayer um, this morning, he used the word opportunity. So, take your Bibles, please. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers and chapter number 13. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on what you miss when you miss. What you miss when you miss. Or the tragedy of lost opportunities. The tragedy of lost opportunities. Numbers chapter 13. And let's ask ask for the lord's blessing thank you dear lord for a wonderful day thank you for our country uh, lord we are surely the most blessed people on planet earth i'm not sure how that's how that's just has come to be lord i don't know but lord uh, we are certainly blessed and we have relative freedom still father we have a beautiful country we have a wonderful history lord i know we're not perfect but lord What an opportunity to serve you in this country. What an opportunity to serve you this year, 2023. Lord, please speak to every heart at this time. And Lord, control, dear Lord, what I say. And I pray for the Spirit's filling at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, (coughs) the national circumstances here. Let's go down to verse, we've read a few verses, uh, thank you, David, before. Come down to verse 23. We'll continue the story here. They came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bare it between two upon a staff and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. The national circumstances were, were this. Here's the nation of Israel. They'd uh, been in Egypt for over 400 years and God miraculously brought them out of the bondage of Egypt. You know the story, uh, how the provision of God and the, 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 uh, the ten plagues and, and the Red Sea and, and the provision of God and so on. And And shortly they came to the edge of the Promised Land they have been walking as a nation through the dry and dusty wilderness. They laboured in Egyptian bondage for many years and they yearned as a nation for rest. Now, rest is not lack of activity or laziness, but rather security, providence and care. And here was their golden opportunity. The door was open for Israel to go into this incredible land that God had promised to the founder of the nation, Abraham. You know, sometimes opportunity knocks only once. Sometimes it knocks only once. There was a story that opportunity knocked on a man's door, front door one day, but he uh, didn't hear the knock. He was down the backyard, and this was their opportunity. Now, there was the chosen 12. We, we mentioned that. We didn't read. Uh, I didn't get my brother to read all the names there. Um, <clears throat> But um, you can read those uh, verses 4 down to wherever it is, verse 15. Uh, But there were 12 men from the 12 tribes, a man from each tribe was chosen. And uh, can you imagine this? Maybe this was the start of Mossad. Maybe this was the start of Mossad. I don't know. They were Israeli. They were spies. Uh, You know the song. 12 men went to spy out Canaan. Uh, 10 were bad and 2 were good. I'm not going to sing the song. But out of this chosen 12, notice that there was 10 were the wrong majority. Look what they said here, verse 31. But the men that went up with him, that's with uh, (coughs) Caleb and Joshua, said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. You know... uh, I grew up in as, as a high schooler in, in Parramatta, and my uh, high school is still there in um, in Parramatta, uh, Arthur Phillip High School. And but I remember back in the, the mid 70s, uh, we had the, there was this rumor going around that, um, uh, and this is back this is back in the tough old days. Okay, if you went to school in Parramatta in the 70s. Uh, it, it was tough. Every lunchtime there was a fight, okay? I mean, a fight, and is it, anyone remember those days? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was full on, and people would bring knives to school and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and the rumour was that the Parramatta Sharps were around. The Par- there was a gang called the Parramatta Sharps. I don't even know if they existed, but that was the rumour. Just be careful of the Parramatta Sharps. And, and maybe, they, maybe people have been reading this chapter here. The, the sons of Anak are there. And they're big. And they're huge. And this was, this was the Ten's report. <clears throat> the sons of Anak are there. The giants are there. Yeah, the land's good, but there's no way in the world. There's no way in the world we can go into that land. Uh, You know, the majority is oftentimes wrong. The majority is oftentimes wrong. Uh, Were there giants in the land? Yes, there were. But did Israel stand no chance? No, that was wrong. The majority is often wrong. Thankfully, there was a brave minority. Come over here to chapter 14, and we know who that was. That We've mentioned them. We've got Caleb and Joshua. Chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us for their defence. "'is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. "'Fear them not. "'But all the congregation bade stone them with stones.' And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. So here we have the the national circumstances, the chosen 12, the 10, the wrong majority, and the brave minority. And it's incredible what, what these two fellas said. They said, yeah, look, the land is incredible. It flows with milk and honey. In other words, there's cows there and there's bees there, at very least, and there are grapes there. So the land is good. You don't have to wait for the trees to grow. They're already grown. You don't have to wait for the grapes to grow. They're already grown. You don't have to wait for the cows to grow. They're, all, they're already milking the cows. You don't have to wait, wait for the bees to do whatever bees do. The honey's already there. Let's go. And not only that, they said, look look at verse, um, verse 9. They said, don't fear the people of the land for well, they are bread for us. We have that saying today, they're toast. You ever heard that saying? They're toast. And then they said, look, their defence is departed from them. That reminds me of the Brisbane Broncos. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. But I remember in my football days, in the under-15s at Arthur Phillips, The under-15s, we played a team once, I don't know where the team was from, Granville South or whatever, these fellas had full-grown beards, under-15s, so (laughs) I have a feeling they weren't under-15, but they were giants, and here we are, 14 and 15, playing these giants, but you know, you know the best tacklers in the footy side, uh, not necessarily the big fellas, they're the little fellas, the hooker, the hookers are the ones that do most of the tackling, and when, when they come up against a big prop, they don't think, oh, oh. No, no, they think, oh, well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And uh, these two brave men, not minority, Caleb and Joshua said, their defences are gone. They're, gone. they're shot to pieces. They're toast. Let's, we, can, we can take these fellas. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're giants. But look at the land. Come on, we'll hit them hard. We'll smash them. We're going to go into the land. Read the excuses here, look at chapter 14 Chapter 14 These were the excuses Remember the people wanted to stone They wanted to kill Caleb and Joshua That's the majority This is what they said that There's always excuses, chapter 14 then all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us under this land, to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt." Here were their excuses. Number one, there were giants there. There were giants there. Well, let me tell you something. Whether they went into the land of Canaan or whether they went back to the wilderness, there were giants everywhere. Read through the Bible. When they, when they got turned away from the, from the promised land, they still faced giants. So whether you're in the promised land or out of the promised land, they would still had to face the giants. And we can spend a lot of time talking about that because we've all faced Giants. We all have giants in our lives. They might be financial giants. They might be relationship giants. They might be health giants. They might be all sorts of giants. doesn't matter where you are. We all have to face giants. Some people are facing giants right now, big ones. And then they said, not only are there giants there, but we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Well, guess what? Whether you're in Canaan or out of Canaan, you're still going to die. You might as well... You might as well go in the land and die as to die outside in the wilderness. But that wasn't their thinking. That was an excuse. And then they said, it was better back in Egypt. Back in Egypt, we had the melons and the leeks and the garlic. Yeah. In Canaan, it was milk, honey and grapes that were this big, you know. Couldn't even carry the watermelons excuses, and they forgot all about, hang on, do you remember, fellas, do you remember what it was like in Egypt? You were crying out to the Lord for year, for year after year, after decade after decade, because you were being, you you were under bondage. Forgot about that. You know, oftentimes new Christians will think, oh, it was so much easier back there before I became a Christian. And oftentimes, Now, of course, that's not true, but oftentimes life does get difficult for a new Christian because the devil just, uh, he's happy when you're not saved. He'll he'll just rock the cradle and and keep you amused or whatever. But I tell you what, once you become a child of God, you enter spiritual warfare. And yes, life does get difficult at times. And they of your own household can even be against you. But it's far better to be a child of God. But they said, oh, it was far better back then. And then, of course, the fourth excuse was this our leaders are no good. Our leaders are no good. You know It's Moses and Aaron's fault. So, this is what we need to do. We need to ditch them, get a new leader to lead us on to glory. It's, it's always the, it always goes back to leadership, doesn't it? Yeah, it's always the leader's fault. It's always the leader's fault. Now, I'm not saying it is the leader's fault, but that's what people say. It's always, how do we had a different leader? Excuses. Excuses. Every born again believer is led by God and yet so many refuse his direction and miss opportunities, just like the nation of Israel. How does this come about? Three words here. The first word is fear. Fear. And verse 3 told us that. Chapter 14, verse 3. Wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land, and again, they're blaming God here, to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Fear. We're going to fall by the sword. They're going to eat us up. Fear. Christians aren't supposed to live in fear. You know, when God provides an opportunity for his children, whatever that opportunity may be to serve him, um, we should not approach that opportunity with fear. Now we can, we can get fearful, but we're not supposed to because the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. In fact, the Bible also says Proverbs 29, "The fear of man bringeth a snare." I know some Christians that are just trapped or snared by fear. That's not how we're supposed to live. Here's the second reason. The second reason is disobedience. Over chapter 14, where are he verse 11? The Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people, look at this word, provoke me, provoke me, disobedience. God says, okay, here's an opportunity, you just need to obey. Trust me, obey, and, and, and I'm going to look after you. And yet so often we just disobey, we think, oh, I can't do that. I can't follow the leading of God here in my life, and so we disobey. We provoke God through disobedience. And here's the third thing. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 11. And how long will it be, ere they believe me, for all the signs which I've showed among them? It's that word unbelief. Unbelief. You say, can God's people commit unbelief? Yep, we're very good at it. We're very good at it. We can... Now, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, you can't, you can't, but I'm just saying, Christians can be guilty of unbelief, we can be guilty of unbelief, yes, we we believe that God, and and I'm guilty of unbelief oftentimes, I've seen, like what, what the Lord said here, he says, can't you see all the signs that I did, all the stuff I did for you, bringing you out of Egypt and providing you food and all this sort of stuff, doesn't that count for anything? i look at my own life and think of all the times that God has provided for us and cared for us and looked after us. And yet, oh Lord, how are we going to get through this situation? No, no, God, if God did it, then he can do it now. We just need to believe. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. All right, my time's nearly up this morning, but I want to just look here, focus in here on the resulting consequences what you miss when you miss what did israel miss because of their fear and their disobedience and their unbelief and what can we miss when we are subject to fear and disobedience and unbelief here's the first thing we miss purpose we miss purpose i'm going to God had a purpose for israel he said yep i'm going to bring my people out of egypt i'm going to do i'm going to do all the miracles And I've got this wonderful land that I've prepared for them just to march straight in. That was God's purpose. But they had to obey and they would not obey. They were fearful. They were unbelieving. And so they missed God's purpose. And what did the Lord say? You know the story. He said, okay, because you will not believe, everyone that's 20 years old and over is going to die their carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. So for the next 40 years, you're going to wander round and round. That's the way it is. Until all those, those adults, 20 years and above, until they're dead. And once that generation has died, then I will bring you into the land. 40 years. One year for every day of that 40-day mission. Didn't have to be that way, but it was. You know, as Christians, we can miss God's plan for our lives. You say, does God have a plan for our lives? I believe he does. I believe God is big enough and smart enough and incredible enough to have a, a, a personal, t- personally tailored plan for each of his children. I think God can do that. The Christian life is not just a life of aimless wandering. That's not what it is. God has something for me. God has something for you. But if you miss God's purpose for your life, you will wander as a Christian. I I, I know Christians and they've been wandering for decades. Wandering. They've missed an opportunity and they've been wandering. Here's the second thing God, uh, the nation of Israel, missed out on victories. Victories. Here's Joshua and Caleb yep, they're big, yep, they're strong, yep, they're ugly, but that's fine, the fence is gone, they are toast for us, God's on our side, God has done this and God will do this for us, let's go. <coughs> it was God, anything that happened good to Israel, it was done by the Lord, by Jehovah. This says, no, no, we don't want any more of that. What? What are you thinking about? they were going to miss out on some incredible victories that God was going to give them. You know, God wants every one of his children to live a victorious Christian life. You know, that's, that's what the Christian life is. I didn't say it's a perfect Christian life, but a victorious Christian life. Sin does not have any more dominion over us. Do we sin? Yes, we do. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, John said, if any man says he has no sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. Now we know we do sin, but we don't have to sin. We can live a victorious Christian life. We can have victory over sin as Christians. So many Christians, they live a defeated life and a defeated Christian is, is a miserable Christian. A miserable Christian. And then there was rest. There was rest. Here was their opportunity to have rest. And as a Christian, unless you are in the centre of God's will, you are not going to have those times of rest, that providence and security and care. You will be restless. And that's not how Christians are supposed to live. And then maybe the the saddest part about this, the the thing that Israel missed out on, they missed out on the fruit. Just think of that. As I mentioned before, here's the land of Canaan. They didn't have to go and plant stuff. It's already planted. It's already there to go. I don't know if they had bananas. Maybe they did. Maybe they had pineapples. I don't know. We know they had the milk and the honey and the grapes and the the figs and and all the pomegranates and all the rest of it. They were ready to go in. It was there, ready for them to take. They missed all that. And God said, all right, back out into the wilderness, 40 years. Yeah, I'll feed you. And he did. He sent the manna down. Can you imagine eating manna for 40 years? Yeah? And God said, all right, you're complaining, I'll send you some quail. And that's fine. I reckon quail would have been really nice for the first meal and maybe even the second meal. But then after the 497th meal straight of quail, what did the Bible say? I'm going to give you quail till it's coming out your nostrils. And I'm sure manna, of course it came from God, it was perfectly nutritious. But God says that's what you're going to have to eat now for the next 40 years. I'll keep you alive. That's fine. You could have had the grapes, you could have had the pomegranates and the figs and the milk and the milkshakes, and you could have had the honey and all the rest of it, but no, no, that's gone now, back out in the desert. There's nothing sadder than a fruitless Christian. You know, God wants us to be fruitful. God, let me give you a verse here. Got to turn to this verse. John, John uh, chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'm nearly finished this morning. I haven't asked Pastor when I'm supposed to be finished, but I won't be long. John chapter 15. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Verse 8. He says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple, among other things, is a fruit bearer. And Jesus said, when, when my disciples bear spiritual fruit, God is glorified. So if we, are not spirit, if we are not fruit-bearing Christians, God is missing out on glory there. And that's not good. You know, we have a time of opportunity here in this. Uh, we could apply this many ways. As a church, 2023, the opportunity is here to serve God this year. The opportunity to serve God. Now, I don't know what God specifically wants you to do. You have to find that out. But don't miss out the incredible privilege and blessing and opportunity of serving God somehow in this church. You say, I don't know what to do. You've got a pastor here. Go and say, Pastor, I want to serve God. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't He'll, he'll figure that out, help you figure that out. The opportunity is here to serve God. The opportunity is here to uh, for our country. I was just reading through that list before, Pastor, about uh, that's a great little handout, that one there. Um, <clears throat> all the different towns and areas in Australia that don't have a Bible-believing church. You say, is that important? I think it is. I think it is. Get involved in the Great Commission. I'm not saying that in in most of these places that there aren't God's people there. We know there are little pockets and there's a lot of places around the country where they have home churches and so on because no one started a church there. But there's towns all over Australia and and even cities that don't have a decent Bible-believing, Bible-preaching witness. We live in the church age, the local church age. The opportunity... To get involved in God's program for this church age is still open in Australia. You can still go down. I love that uh, little idea you've got um, with Brother Jimmy of picking an area. You, You can still go down the street and give tracks out. You can still knock on doors. You can still invite people to church. You can still talk to people out in the street without getting arrested. That may not always be, but the door's open at the moment. The opportunity is still there in this country You say, but there's giants out there. Yep, there are. Some big, ugly giants. That's fine. You say, but people laugh at me. Well, they're going to laugh at you anyway. We all need to play our part in this. That's the Great Commission before the Lord returns. So don't miss out the opportunity, the time. The, The opportunity is now. Get on board Don't be just a pew warmer. Be a servant of God. Be a servant of God through your local church. Find what you can do. You say, I can't preach. Well, that's fine. You've got a preacher. There's something else you can do to serve God. And as I finish this morning, the most devastating miss of all is to miss heaven. What do you miss if you miss heaven? You miss eternal life. And you go to the other place, hell. And you miss all that God has for his children. The most wonderful thing in all the world is to be a child of God. You say, how do I become a child of God? John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him as Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons or the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. That little freckle-faced skinny, believe it or not, curly-haired, believe it or not, kid, Fraser Young, in 1969, claimed that verse, John 1, 12, was his own. And even though I didn't have an earthly dad at that time, I received a heavenly father on that day. The opportunity presented itself. And you know what, my friend? The Bible says today is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus died for sinners. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. He rose again. He was the sinless, spotless lamb of God sent to earth to live a perfect life, to pay the sin debt for the entire world. And he paid my sin debt and he paid your sin debt. And even today, 2,000 years later, he's offering you salvation. So if you are not saved, if you do not know there was a time when you said, yes, Jesus, I admit I'm a terrible sinner and I deserve hell, but I believe you died for me and you were buried and you rose again and you're alive today and I now want to trust you as my Saviour. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not tonight, but right now. Because if you miss salvation, if you miss heaven, the results, the consequences of that are eternal. Eternal. Israel missed, it was 40 years, and at least the younger people there got into the land. You missed the opportunity to receive Christ and have a reservation in heaven. because Do you remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you? John chapter 14. Those that belong to the Lord, Jesus is preparing a place for us. He says, And by the way, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. But if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's the opportunity. Today's the day. Let's have all heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then I think we're going to have a song, and I'll hand back to Pastor to come and to close the service. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning, and you, can, you know that you have not taken the opportunity that God has given to you. You need to take that opportunity. Say, so yes, I'm going to serve God with His strength, with His power. But maybe there's someone here this morning, you are not a Christian. You have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you would say in your heart of hearts, Preacher, that is me. I don't know that I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. I don't know that I'm a child of God, but I would like to know today. My friend, I would like to give you the opportunity to respond to the message. And this is how I'd like you to do it. If you would say in your heart of hearts, preacher, I don't know that I'm a Christian, but I understand my need. I see my need. And I need to be saved. Right where you are, can you just put your hand up in the air? Uh, No one else is looking around. Put your hand up in the air and say, preacher, that's me, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I just don't know, but I would like to know more about having Christ in my life, being born again. Is there one, now putting your hand up is not going to make you a Christian, I understand that. But is there one, young or old, you say, preacher, that's me, I don't know that I'm a Christian. Just put that hand in the air. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of God And dear Lord, thank you, you are the God of opportunity. Thank you that you save guilty sinners like so many in this room. We marvel at your grace, we marvel at your mercy. And dear Lord, I pray, Lord, surely there's someone here this morning that is not saved in a a meeting this size, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, they will not put off that most important of all questions. What must I do to be saved? Speak in our hearts, Lord. Bless the closing hymn, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.